Do you just love this podcast so much and wish you could find a way to monetarily support us? Well, guess what? Much like NPR, we thrive on support from viewers like you. So if you love this podcast and you want to become a contributor, all you have to do is go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Click the support button and choose the amount that you want to contribute each month to our podcast. This helps keep our podcast going and it keeps the phenomenal content that you have come to know and love flowing. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. We appreciate you. We see you. And we hope you enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we're talking about the film Night of the Living Dead from 1968 with my wonderful guest, Nick Lang. Did you hear that? There was a crazy sound outside. Was it a cat? It was like, I don't think it was a cat. I think it was a bird that sounded like a cat. Oh, okay. Ain't that something? Ain't that something? A bird that sounds like a cat imitating its sworn enemy. (laughs) Well, welcome to Talk Classic to Me. I am your host, Sarah Greenfield, and this is my wonderful guest, Nick Lang. Hi, Nick. Oh, hello, Sarah. I'm glad to be back. (laughs) It's really good to have you back. It's been a while. I know. Well, we haven't had a Nick movie in a hot minute, but the wand chooses the wizard. So we have a bunch of Nick movies coming up. So if so, you'll be a guest coming up a bunch if that okay. makes you feel better. That makes me feel great. <laughs> okay. So this time around, we watched Night of the Living Dead from 1968. Not mm-hmm. the one from 1990, the one from 1968. Mm-hmm. So Nick, what did you think? Well, this movie is like a classic, you know? It's like, it's like really hard to not know this movie or at least know the tropes that this movie introduced you know this movie is the birth of the modern zombie genre so like everything that you know about zombies all comes from this movie and it's surprising how much you go like oh the they're afraid of fire fire will kill them shoot them in the head you get bit by one you turn into one the death dead rising from the grave they all it all comes from this movie and there's so many famous bits like they're coming to get you barbara is so (laughs) famous um and uh yeah i i i think it's really hard not to like this movie and um this movie is like still i think you know, obviously it's old. It's from 1968. But for the knowing that it's 1968, pretty extreme, pretty revolutionary in terms of like filmmaking techniques and also um, the subject matter and the execution of it. And uh, it's scarily still so relevant, I would say. Um, so. I do, I do like this movie, just like I think a lot of people like this movie. I was surprised by how much I liked it because, as many people know who listen to this show, I am not a horror enthusiast. Um, I have not seen a lot of scary movies. They really do scare me. I don't like feeling stressed out. 
Yeah. But this one was very good. <laughs> so yeah. mm -hmm. um, we are going to get into it. But first, I want to share why I chose this film. So one of the reasons we watched this film this time around was because it's right around Juneteenth. And I knew that this film had like a strong black protagonist. Um, mm -hmm. And it had been recommended to me by people that I really trust when talking about like, um, kind of social activist, kind of like really important films, but mm -hmm. I didn't know how the ending was going to be. I didn't realize how prescient the ending was going to be. Yeah. So I can't wait till we get into talking about that. Um, but yeah, those are the reasons we kind of chose this. Also, because it was a horror film, and I know that we don't really watch those on this show, so everyone's getting a special treat because uh -huh. we watched one this time. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna do a plot synopsis of this film. Basically, I feel bad doing it in front of Nick because Nick like knows it so well, I think. So here's my my plot synopsis <laughs> of Night of the Living Dead. Okay, so we're on an empty country road. Two motorists drive to a cemetery. Their names are, oh crap, it's Barbara and somebody. Tommy, Barbara and Johnny. Johnny. Johnny, sorry, Johnny and Barbara. I thought they were a couple, but it turns out they're brother and sister. Yes, they they only clarify that they're brother and sister later on because he, you know, they're talking about their their dad and their, but it's like Barbara because they're going to visit their dad's grave, but the way that Johnny talks about it is so flippant. You mm -hmm. think, oh, this must be her dad, mm -hmm. not his dad. So you think they're a couple, but they're actually brother and sister. Thank you. Nick just described that beautifully. Um, so while they're at the cemetery, you know, honoring their dad, um, they see someone in the distance. And it turns out Barbara used to be afraid of the cemetery when she was a kid. And Tommy, or just God damn it, is it Tommy or Johnny? Johnny. It's Johnny. Johnny. Johnny knew that. I think name. it's Johnny. I'm gonna... Johnny and or Tommy. <laughs> yeah, Blonde, tall, white man. Yeah. Um, he used to kind of play pranks on Barbara in the cemetery. And so he's, he's scaring her a little bit with the kind of pranks he used to play. And she's not having it. And so as this man approaches them, uh, she says later on that she was going to say something to him, but it doesn't look like it in the moment. Anyway, uh, but he starts to attack her. And so Johnny slash Tommy gets involved and they, they get in a tussle. Johnny slash Tommy gets knocked out. Barbara just stands there. You get a lot of Princess Bride vibes when they're in that that cave and she does nothing to help, even though she could do lots of things. It's very frustrating to watch Barbara at these moments. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, she um she has a tough time. She's just in shock through the whole thing. I yeah. guess. But yeah, anyway, so Barbara's just standing there freaking out while her brother's getting hurt. And she finally does escape. She gets in the car. She doesn't have the keys, so she rolls it down a hill. She runs away. The zombie sees where she runs. She finds this abandoned house. She goes in the house. She's alone at first, but then a motorist pulls up and joins her. He helps fight off some of the zombies, who I almost just called Nazis, but that's probably a whole thing, too. A motorist comes by, joins her in the house. Uh, his name is Ben. He is super smart and he knows exactly like what to do and he's thinking ahead and planning. Again, we mentioned Barbara is useless. At first we're like, oh my God, you're the worst. And then we realize, no, she's just in like severe shock. She cannot yeah. function. She's almost a zombie herself, not actually a zombie, but like she's not yeah. a super functioning human at this time because she's in such shock. Anyway, so they realize that there are other people in the house that were hiding in the basement and they 
are trying to decide how they're going to work together to fight these zombies, and they can't seem to agree, mainly because the people in the basement were super selfish, as yeah. no one should be surprised by, because they were hiding in the basement while they heard the kerfuffle upstairs. Um, so, okay, spoiler alert, major spoiler alert. Uh, basically, everybody dies. They all die, except for, you know, Ben ends up being the only one to kind of outwit the zombies and survive the zombie attack. But at the very end of the film, Ben is killed by the police. He's killed by people who are searching for zombies who mistake him for a zombie and don't really yeah. care to check. Um, so they kill him and he's burned along with the rest of the zombies and it's heartbreaking. In, in typical police fashion, mm -hmm. shoot first, ask questions later. Oh, so yes, yeah. in the end, Ben, Ben is killed by the police. Yeah, I was... I did not see that coming. I'm going to be honest. I didn't know anything about this movie, really. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those films that takes like a dark turn pretty quickly. Like it feels like your typical horror film up to a certain point and then things get real. Um, yeah. Once uh, the, the couple, Judy and... Um, I think they're the, the other Coopers. Um, no, the other couple. The cute oh, young the, couple. Oh, the, oh, the young Tom, Tommy, Tommy. Tommy. I think that okay. one is Tom or Tommy. Okay, Tommy's, Johnny's, they're all over, right? But yeah. I think once the young couple get burned alive in that car, yeah. and then we see the zombies eating their remains, which, by the way, would there be remains if they were exploded in the car? Question. Well, they're like charred corpses. Okay. You know? Okay. All right. But I think, to me, that's when it gets real. That's when we, one, learn that, our, that the people we have become attached to can die, and two, they die in a pretty gruesome way. And from that point on... Every single character has a pretty gruesome death. Yeah, and again for 1968, pretty yeah. pretty gruesome deaths all around, and not just yeah. gruesome in the in the sense of like gory. It's like the movie's not. I wouldn't say it's particularly a gory movie, but it's just like emotionally horrific. Yes, well, because it's like the people are killed by the things that they love kind of, right? So it's like yeah. the daughter, the the child. So um, there's another couple in there, um, the Coopers. And I was like, oh my gosh, their name is the Coopers and they want to coop people up. Whoa! Whoa! Yeah. They're the only people with last names. And I think it's because of that. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they have a daughter who was bitten by a zombie. She yes. becomes a zombie and she kills her mother and she kills her father. Well, yes. Ben kind of kills Cooper. No, but it, so it's like the thing. And uh, Barbara's brother kills her. Yes. Because uh, he becomes a zombie. Yeah. Um, so to me, it seemed like, but the thing you, I guess Ben doesn't count that because he didn't love the well, police. Well, no, no. It's, it's kind of like just everything is, it's, yes, it's very upsetting where you go, institutions will kill you. Family yeah. members kill you. It's just yeah. like things that you are su supposed to trust in are yeah. are turn out to be the things that are the greatest danger to you um which is you know a, a lot of where the social commentary comes in so yeah that, there are two things i really want to talk with you about this film one would be like the social commentary and two would be like how this changed the horror genre like how exactly yeah. it did that because it's like it's this b movie shot like guerrilla style on a mm -hmm. shoestring budget that made a fortune and is like yeah. considered a horror classic, like the first real quote unquote modern zombie film. Yeah. Um, 
So you're like, how did it change the game? How did it do that? What are the normal tropes we might know? And what are the tropes that we learn here? Like what, how does it do it, Nick, as our horror expert? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, there, there are a few things uh, that it, that it did. And this is just my basic knowledge. I'm by no means like a film historian or there are people that are way smarter than I am or way more learned than I am. But you do know a lot. As your friend, I know you're being humble, and I am going to say you do know a lot, <laughs> especially about horror films. I'm a big fan of the horror genre. So um, Night of the Living Dead is very significant in a number of ways. It introduces all of the main current zombie tropes. Even today, we're all going off of you know, the tropes that are introduced in Night of the Living Dead. Um, not in, not just in terms of like how zombies operate, but also in terms of what a zombie story entails. Before this, the original idea of a zombie is like a person or a corpse that is reanimated by magical means, by like a witch doctor or something like that, or a shaman who will bring a corpse to life to do its bidding or or literally turn a person into a zombie. So those are like the magical kinds of things. Uh, Night of the Living Dead introduced the idea of the zombie by means of a scientific um, sort of uh, gone wrong. In this movie, it is radiation from Venus that uh, kind of goes awry, and there's a satellite that... Um, that that they sent to Venus and it's come back. And the great thing about this movie is like Sarah said, it's shoestring budget. It is so low budget. It's like an independently made movie. And that was a huge game changer, but um, it accomplishes a lot through the radio and TV reports to where they talk about like pretty much a global scale but everything that we're seeing in the movie is like five people in one house. So it's a global event told through the lens of one small group of survivors. Also, can I mention too, the global event is caused by the US. They talk about how NASA were the yes. people who caused this explosion. So like the US has caused a giant worldwide ghoul, they call them ghouls, but like zombie yeah. flesh eating thing. That's on yes. us, that's our fault. Like we didn't yeah. blame it on another country, it's us. It's us for sure. And again, that's, that's like has to do with all the social commentary as well. Yeah. So this movie uh, introduces the idea that zombies are the slow moving, reanimated corpses that are back by something a lot of times it's like a virus like in the walking dead or something like that and it introduces the idea of they bite you you turn into one the recently dead corpses are rising from the grave no matter how they die they become one of these things you have to be buried or cremated, right? So if they're buried, they can't be reanimated. The idea, I think, with them being buried in this movie is like, because they're not particularly strong. The whole mm -hmm. thing is just there are so many of them. Mm -hmm. So uh, my guess would be is that a corpse in this world would not have the ability to dig its way out of the ground because i've seen that image from other well i haven't lord knows i have not seen it in other movies i'm aware that an image exists where people claw out of the ground yeah there's a <laughs> lot of stuff of zombies coming 
up from the grave. Like Hocus Pocus, for example. Or like Thriller and stuff like that. Um, so, uh, and then this movie also introduces like the, um, you burn them to kill them or you shoot them in the head and you destroy their brain. Um, all things that become like par for the course with zombies. But then also it introduces the basic kind of themes of a zombie story, which is everything is like a microcosm for society put into like an extreme bottle to where it is about, you know, society is collapsing and we will see a small group of survivors that are kind of representative of different kinds of people. And it's them trying to get along in the apocalypse and with without fail the survivors end up fighting amongst themselves and even in the midst of this world shattering event humans still can't get along you know it's it's like and things you see to this day like the walking dead is all about you know the different warring factions of humanity is set to the backdrop of a zombie apocalypse. And um, so it kind of like defined the genre and um, you know, it birthed the, the George Romero um, series of zombie films. Cause there was this one and then there's Dawn of the dead and day of the dead and et cetera, which are also very famous. Um, like all of them have been Year remade. Of the dead, Year of the Dead. Millennia of the Dead. Uh, Evening of the Dead. Brunch of the Dead. Uh, <laughs> Those are way better. <laughs> yeah. Fancy dress party time of the dead. <laughs> of the dead, you know, all of them. Uh, but uh, but they're all like classics in, in their own way. Um, so it kind of redefined zombie genre. One of the things that I love about the horror genre is that many filmmakers will get their start in the horror genre because it is so cheap. It's like there are people that like there's a saying that goes like it doesn't matter how cheap the movie is, put a monster in it and people will watch it. So uh, like in this movie, the zombies are pretty much just people walking around. They look pretty regular who are sometimes naked for no reason by the way You're yeah, like, the, Why yeah. Is that one naked why yeah. it's just odd <laughs> you, you go like okay i guess there's a naked zombie walking around um it's like it just really in some strange way dehumanizes the zombies to where like they don't even care if they have clothes on they're just wandering around um it would have been nice if it was a naked man zombie walking around. Thank but. you for saying that. I was like, of course, it had to be an objectified woman. The man zombies found time to put on pants. I, of course, yes. Because, um, you know, in movies, they were like, you can show naked woman, but no peen. Um, and modern movies are getting rid of that. You know, there have been a lot of modern horror movies that have tons of peen in them. And there you go. So times are changing. Because this movie was so cheaply made and then such an enormous hit, you'll see time and time again, filmmakers will like start in the horror genre and they'll say, I want to break into movies. So I'll start out with a horror movie. They're cheap to make. We can do it with like 
a group of five people in the woods and you can make something that then becomes like a smash hit and makes millions and millions and millions of dollars. And uh, so this is like sort of a tradition to where young filmmakers will start out making horror movies and then they'll break into the industry and grow from there. Just knowing a little bit about like George Romero's background that he he did go to Carnegie Mellon for like film and stuff, but before he made this film, this was his feature film debut, he did commercials and industrials. So yeah. I think the style he used making commercials, like kind of more of a guerrilla style, is yeah. what translates into this. But do you want to talk about kind of what makes it so cheap to make? Yeah, uh, especially with this movie. Again, it's a cataclysmic event, but there are only speaking characters. There are only like seven of them in, in the whole film. And most of the screen time of the movie is two or three people alone in one house trying to board up the house. And then there are like scenes of like people in a graveyard. So it's mm -hmm. like, here's Barbara running, running, a lot of Barbara yeah. running. A lot of and, Barbara running. <laughs> and so that doesn't take a lot of money to do because you can just get a few people and it can feel very big and have very big stakes, but you don't need to, it's like a life or death situation that you don't need anything besides Barbara who's running and the zombie guy who's chasing her. And you can make a very exciting moment. And they really utilize close-ups too and quick jerky camera movements to get you to feel a certain way. Like yes. um, early on, they have the jump scare where Barbara enters the house and um, it's like everything is silent. And then the camera jerks really quickly to all of the dead animals on the wall. And those aren't particularly scary, but you as an audience member jump. So they, they utilize little tricks like that. And just, I would say even the askew camera angles, right? Yes. You get like Dutch shots from the ground looking up to yeah. make things, you know, yeah. feel different than they would feel normally. So I, I definitely think they utilize like film techniques. Film techniques that have a visceral reaction from the audience that may not be super complicated to use, like handheld shots. Because you look at older movies that are like these big studio movies that are filmed on like lavish sets with huge sweeping camera movements and like, you know, any musical of the time that would be like, here's a set that costs, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to make. And we have the camera on a giant crane arm so that we can back up and show the 50 dancers that are doing something. But in this one, it's like, Here's a scene where Barbara's in a car, the zombie is pounding on the window, and the camera is just held by a guy who's in the car with Barbara, and it's shaking around, and you are put in the place of the character. If you were in that situation, you would be shaking around and looking right as the zombie's in your face. Um, so it's sort of like a, it feels down and dirty. And horror really lends itself well to that style of filmmaking, whereas a musical wouldn't be very good. And like, there's nothing wrong with musicals, by the way, we're just saying. It's very easy to make a horror movie um, because you can just say, okay, this, we've got 20 minutes of a person exploring a house and it's just mm -hmm. slow shots of them going like, is there anything in this house? I don't know. 
and there doesn't even have to be anything in the house, you're still tense through the whole time because you're waiting for the monster to pop out. It can be these little episodic uh, fear-based things, like fear-based adventures that we go through when it comes to horror. Yeah, like this movie in particular, a lot of the story is told through radio programs and like news reports that they listen to and watch like the characters don't they don't know what's going on just like we the audience start out not knowing what's going on and we along with the characters discover oh this is happening everywhere and they don't need to show it happening everywhere because there's somebody telling you oh we're getting reports from all across the country that this kind of thing is happening and they have a fun reveal of information. And it lends itself to the realism because that's how we would have gotten information back in the day, right? Mm -hmm. They, If you turned on your television, they wouldn't have had necessarily footage right away of what was going on. They would have an anchor telling you mm -hmm. what's happening. So to me, it felt very much like making us, the viewer, feel like we're in that situation as opposed to like watching a movie about it. The realism stuff was what made it feel so, so cool and unique and even just the, the little tiny stuff. I think when you think about horror films from the past, like this was definitely a turning point because before this we have like, you know, the movies we've talked about here, Frankenstein and uh, yeah. The Invisible Man, Creature from the Black Lagoon, things like that that are scary, but they're not, there's just like enough about it that looks produced to not make you terrified. But this yeah. movie, like when they're eating the, the body parts of the people, that yeah. looks a little bit real. That feels a little bit real. The fact that the science-based thing that could happen feels a little real too. I don't know, there's a lot of it that feels incredibly real. It was like pretty extreme for the time, like showing actual body parts going into mouths, you know, like that sort of thing was not shown. And even, you know, by today's standard, you look at it and you go, some of the stuff is pretty tame. You know, like there is a part where the little girl turns into a zombie and stabs her mother to death. But you never see the, she's using like a little, um, a little spade kind of thing to stab her mother to death. But you never see the thing actually penetrating any body, any flesh. You just see like her lifting it and then she, We'll the take shadow. it down from frame and you see like the shadow and stuff similar to how in psycho you yeah. never see the knife go into the body um you see like the knife next to the body but yeah. you never actually see it's like the movie will trick you into thinking that you saw something that you didn't actually see and part of it is it's much cheaper to not show it and part of it is you know back then it would have been so incredibly taboo to to show that kind of gore i mean this is right before the rating system has entered consciousness and um i heard that there were like a ton of kids around this time who saw this movie and it like terrified them for generations <laughs> like yeah. that was like a thing that was happening kids were yeah. going to this thinking they were seeing like a regular movie and it ended up being like wait everybody dies including the protagonist and yeah. they were like wrecked about it yeah. Gene Siskel, I, it was Ebert, Roger Ebert wrote about it. He wrote a review about this movie that didn't even talk about the review. He wrote about the trauma he witnessed in a theater at a matinee. And that's yeah. like yeah. what was known about this, I guess. Yeah, because the movie is very upsetting. 
Um, and I would say the the final death of Ben is the most upsetting death because it's tragic. It's like the, the movie has a, an immense amount of tragedy to it, to where all the people, despite their flaws, you want them to survive. Like they all care about something and they all die horrifically. And then Ben is able to survive the zombie onslaught. You go, he does it. He he gets yeah. through it. You go like, and then the dawn ro- arrives. The rescue party shows up. He's like, quote unquote, safe. And then he walks, he's walking towards the window and the cops shoot him in the head. And yeah. you And you go like, and they're like sweeping the area, killing zombies. And they don't even think to check if this guy is a zombie they just kill him they even say good shot they say good shot that he's dead burn him and then they have these really horribly graphic images they have no footage of this but they show images of it that are very upsetting that's you know this group of like white cops going with meat hooks to Ben, who's a black man, and they're sticking the meat hooks into him and dragging him out to this pile where they then burn him. It's very upsetting. Um, And, you know, there's like a reason why in the end there, besides it being the end credits, they go like, okay, we're going to show this, but we're going to show it in a series of stills rather than actual footage. I think footage would have been like, really grotesque and the and the the pictures on one end are like a a bit of like uh a bit of a reprieve from the graphic nature of it but also they are evocative of like real photos of like violence uh, against you know black people that you would see so you go it's a mixture of like very upsetting things so yes. the the movie has like one of those classic classic upsetting ends that you know you don't necessarily see coming because at the time not many movies had this sort of fully upsetting end where like the hero survives the the horrific quote-unquote yeah. horrific event only to then die just after that. Let's get into the social commentary of that because I think you're right. The frustrating thing about Ben's death is that he did everything right. He was the only character who wasn't selfish, right? Like all the other characters displayed a huge flaw, something where it was like they were selfish in some way. Ben didn't do that. Ben was unselfish from the start. He did everything right, everything he was supposed to do. And at the end of the day, that didn't matter. And I think that's what like goes a lot into today's commentary of like black men being killed by cops for literally no reason. Um, like that Rihanna yes. Giddens song, uh, get it right the first time, you know, like you're not going to get a second chance just for like as existing as a black person in this country. Yeah. It's one wrong move you, and you could be murdered and it, it would, they would get away with it. <laughs> is essentially mm-hmm. what it, you know, like yeah. because of their position of power and the color of their skin, they would get away with it. Yeah. So, um, there's no consequences for that action. So I think yeah. that's the, you're, you described it perfectly. Um, the, the end really does feel like what we would have felt right after, it's like the civil rights movement. This is 1968. Yeah. And those mm-hmm. images look like a lot of images we might've seen at the time, the brutality against like black bodies and seeing 
what you said, the meat hooks and putting him on the pile, it's all just like incredibly disturbing. Yeah. Um, let's get into the social commentary too. Like, um, what do you think means different things? Like, I, I think for me, I was mixed between like the, the zombies represent like white supremacy or fascism, you know, like this, yeah. they represent the metaphor of like these ideas spreading and they can get to anyone and they can harm anyone. And when you're, you're kind of almost like living in a trance when you refuse to see the reason behind things behaving like animals. They describe the zombies that way. And I was like, oh, like when people get in a mob and act like psychopaths. You know, it's like a lot of, you know, brilliant stories and things can be interpreted in many ways and they can evolve as we are, you know, as society is progressing because the story is universal and the zombies can represent any number of, of things. Like as I was watching the movie this time, I can't help but think of the pandemic, you know, and I'm going like you, you think about the pandemic and, you know, obviously that's what I'm thinking about going into this movie. <laughs> it's about, you know, this yeah. kind of like sickness that is spreading around and turning regular people into carriers of death and you're, and your neighbors becoming the thing that you're the most afraid of. Um, so it's like the zombies are, they can be representative of any kind of like cataclysmic thing in, in some of the sequels, they get into like, uh, like Dawn of the dead and stuff where the zombies are more representative of like a specific thing, like, you know, consumerism or whatever, whatever it is, depending on the film. Um, but this one, I really find um, the interest and in kind of the social commentary comes really from the human characters trying to survive this cataclysmic event and going like they should be all working together but instead you're seeing all of these power struggles and you're seeing the most competent man who is there who is ben who literally does everything by the way like he nobody does helps him he just does everything yeah Ugh. it's like there is the guy tommy that is helping him but tommy is incompetent you come to realize and but ben is the most competent person there he's got the plan he's got all the good ideas and he just so happens to be a black man and he is trying to lead the situation and then you have uh mr cooper who is this very small white man this man who is petty this man who even in the context of trying to survive one night of a zombie apocalypse he always has to be right he always has to be in charge he wants to be the guy holding the gun he wants to be the guy who's like in charge of everything even though his ideas are terrible and he goes down and he ends up like arguing with his wife about what the plan is and she 
it is interesting how it's like in the 60s so she's like having to listen to him or feels the need to listen to him even though he's an idiot and she's in so many words telling him that his plan is stupid but then he's like stamping his foot like you're supposed to listen to me i'm the man it should be noted she did speak out though each time she does speak against him she was like you always have to be right don't you oh, you always have to be right. right and then the time when she he was like I have to have the gun. She's like, haven't you had enough? Like, she's constantly yeah. like, you're the worst. I see that you're the worst. Yes, yes, I'm married to you and I have to stick by you. Ugh. But yeah, you're yeah. the worst. So I feel like at least she tells him he's the worst. She does tell him he's the worst. Yeah, so it's it's just interesting how in this situation, this you can't help but notice how there's a black man who is the leader, the natural leader of the situation, and then a white man who is upset by it. A white man who has terrible ideas, who is upset by the situation, who, in order to be right, will doom himself and his family. Um, so it's kind of like you're watching these people that should be united tearing each other apart. And like you said, even Mr. Cooper, zombies don't kill Mr. Cooper. Ben kills Mr. Cooper. Um, he, he shoots him. And because you go like Ben is the guy who's like doing everything. Ben's not completely perfect. That's true. He does like smack Barbara and he does he like does smack Barbara, shoot. but Barbara He's always also smacks him. Barbara smacked and, him first. Yeah. And it was like yeah. a white woman, black man kind of thing. I think it was like yeah. a white woman trying to do the thing where she's like, I'm going to put you in your place. And he's like, no, you're not. Yes. Like, no, you're not. Yes. So while I do not obviously condone anybody hitting anybody, especially right. women, to me, that felt like one, like more justified. <laughs> yes, you you go. Ben has limits. He's yeah. not this like complete like person who's gonna roll over and be nice and in whatever the situation. Like the guy, um, Mr. Cooper, is terrible to him. Is cowardly. Almost lets him die at several situations, and then you know. And then he takes the gun from Ben and he goes, now I've got the gun. And it's as zombies are <laughs> smashing through the walls. And Mr. Cooper goes, like, ha, 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 I've got the gun now. And then Ben punches him in the face, takes the gun and shoots him because he goes, this guy is just too destructive to be around. Yeah. And it does bite him in the ass, though, because he does shoot him. But then he gets bitten by a zombie, his daughter. So, and eaten, I guess, a little bit by a zombie, his daughter. So it does mm -hmm. actually make Ben's life harder that he had that moment where he shot him. Ben, you know, he did get angry and shoot the guy. And, <laughs> he did. You know, maybe it would have been better to have one more person there, but that guy was annoying. Um, and so he, the Molotov cocktails, I am convinced that if he had continued to throw more than three Molotov cocktails, he had a whole box of jars. He could have yeah. kept doing it. But he threw three and was like, my job's done. And I'm like, no, keep yeah. throwing them at the zombies. What is your problem? You're safe up there. They can't climb. Yes. He also fails to hit. He hits one zombie um, who kind of walks into the fire. But he's dangerously close to hitting the car the entire time. <laughs> and you go like, don't hit the car. Hit the <sighs> zombies. Um, or so, just scare yeah. them. They don't like fire. Just throw it at their feet and they freak out. It's very yeah. simple. I say not in that situation yeah. at all. In the events of the film, 
a lot of the characters die from their own incompetence yeah. or like their own failure to act. Like you go Tommy and his and his girlfriend. <sighs> uh, is the girlfriend's name Judy? Judy. Judy. Yeah. Um, first off, Judy's supposed to stay in the house. She doesn't. Judy. <laughs> Judy, Judy, Judy. Judy, Judy, um, Judy. And then when they're going to get the gas, um, Tommy spills it everywhere. Oh, my <laughs> and, God. And then Tommy goes, oh, I have a good idea. I'll drive the car that's on fire. And then they're trying to get out of the car, and Judy's jacket is caught, and then they both blow up. So you go like, that one really is not on the zombies. That one is on them. And it's true that it is a stressful situation, but you go, Ben is handling it. Well, you know, he's he's handling the situation. And then they kind of bumble and shoot the gas everywhere and then, you know, and then blow themselves up. And then uh and then you go like, yes, Mr. Cooper is uh, not joining in helping to fight the zombies. No, no. He's just cowardly hiding. And then he grabs the gun thinking that, oh, I'm powerful now. And then he, and then Ben kills him. Um, Mrs. Cooper, you know, her death is very sad. Her death is one of the most sad because she is one of the most reasonable characters in the film. But she has a daughter who dies in the basement because she has been bitten by a zombie she dies and then she becomes a zombie herself and then she stabs her own mother to death do you think that the mom i wonder if it's like her not being able to realize the situation that her daughter like wasn't her daughter anymore that's an incredibly difficult thing to do yeah but do you think she realized like because on the news they're starting to say do they you ever have say to if you've burn been bitten? them they're yeah. yeah well they she can't do it yeah the film does say that no matter how someone's dying they come back as a zombie i don't know if they specifically tie the bite to becoming a zombie because it really doesn't matter because anyone that dies becomes a zombie because of the radiation from venus okay so it okay okay also side note venus is the feminine planet of course they would make it venus wasn't mars oh no we've got to make go. it venus there you go it's a weird it is a weird detail in the movie where you go like oh i forgot that it's radiation from venus um yeah. wait so there's other stuff like okay there must be a social commentary for the cannibalism as well that's yeah. got to mean something zombies in movies are always representative of something you go like humans eating each other is a very common theme like metaphorically in at this point physically but you go like our society is very predatory people get ahead by taking advantage of oppressing and quote-unquote eating others it's it's like pushed in a zombie story to a visceral extreme of like literally they're eating each other and it's regular people doing this to each other and and society collapsing and being incredibly cruel in other zombie things it like will literally be 
representative of consumerism. Like, I'm pretty sure it's Dawn of the Dead that takes place in the mall. Do you, do you know which uh, one I'm talking about? I have zero idea. I have seen none of the deads. This is the only one. I've seen this one in Shaun of the Dead. That's as far as we go in my zombie experience. Um, I once heard the phrase, white supremacy eats its own young. Meaning, like, people that believe in, like, or support white supremacy, essentially, are always harming themselves, right? They don't maybe necessarily see it, but they are. And I guess that came to mind with the cannibalism, too. Because you can't be sustained by that. It's like, it, it's harmful to all involved. Yes, it is an infectious thing that is a, uh, such a fundamental problem. That can also reside in, in people that seem regular, you know? Um, it's just innate within our culture. Now that we're talking about it too, last week we watched Cabaret and it mm -hmm. like shows, you know, the rise of Nazism in Germany and it's got the different types of people. There are the people that will likely eventually be affected very deeply that are like, oh, this isn't going to hurt us. We're rich and we're fine. And like, yeah, they're saying crazy stuff, but it doesn't matter. Like, let, let them do them, whatever. So like, there's those kind of like, not necessarily active Nazis, but people that don't oppose it people that don't fight the system. And mm -hmm. I feel like they represent like the selfish people in this who are like, well, why should we help them? It'll hurt us. And I don't know. Yeah. So like the, that's them. And then there's the people that you don't expect to become Nazis, but end up with that fervor. So like the scene of tomorrow belongs to me, where you see like a lot of the young people rising up with this anger, you know, that song and they're, they're becoming Nazis and the people in the boarding house who we liked at the beginning of the film, becoming Nazis towards the end, that being a surprise to us, like, Oh, you, you, seemed like lovely people and here you are believing this awful thing so i guess that really hits home when you see johnny becoming a zombie that hits home when you see the daughter like all of these people mm -hmm. you wouldn't expect to harm the people they love or to infect the yeah. people they love uh i was thinking that too a little bit this time of like oh wow this is just like cabaret but different obviously I think that's what a lot of people say. Night of the Living Dead, just like Cabaret. Just like Cabaret. There you go. I do also want to bring one more idea in. We've mentioned several times now that um, Dwayne Jones, who plays Ben, who is like an African-American protagonist, um, the part was actually written with no, like, it was written as a colorblind part. It was colorblind casting. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't written with him in mind. Um, he had the best audition and they liked him the most for yeah. this part and then built the part around that. And I think it's so much more prescient this way. It works beautifully. And he's also the best actor in the film. <laughs> which he's makes great. A lot of sense when you see his like background and stuff. Yes, it it is something where when you watch it, you know, yeah, I think that in making the film, maybe they discovered things as they were going along, you know, to where the film kind of grew during the making of it. And the film definitely grows, continues to grow in society um, as we continue to watch it and interpret this, you know, story in the different ways through our different social context. It's just sad still how powerful the movie is in so many ways, especially after, you know, these past several years with all of the, you know, not only the pandemic that we're going through, but also a lot of the police brutality that we're witnessing and like this really examining, you know, the 
awful racial inequity and um, trauma that exists in this country. So looking at this movie with our current mindset, we're seeing many, many things in this film. And it's like, you know, it's it was made in 1968. Yeah. And it's like a long time ago, but still it speaks to us very effectively. And we're seeing many things that you go, I wish that this wasn't a problem, but it really is. And it does it through subtext too, I think, because I don't, I don't feel like they really mention race necessarily throughout, but it's something you're aware of. They make you aware of yes. it. It's like, it is a purposeful thing that they want you to to feel and to see, but yes. it's, I think the simplicity of it is what gives it life and keeps it going. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And like helps it stand the test of time as a storytelling trope. But yeah, I, I, I hate that it still is so relevant. I wish it was a lot less relevant than it is. Yeah. And you do, you do look at it and you go like in the end when the, you know, the search party is going through and just shooting whoever they think is a zombie and they're not paying attention. Yeah. Um, it's not even like they really see Ben. They just yeah. see somebody in the window and shoot him. Yeah. Um, they see there's movement. That's what they say, basically. Oh, I see movement. But it does, like, illustrate this recklessness and this, this ready-to-shoot people and how quickly they dehumanize the zombies is really interesting to me. Like how quickly they just call them things. And then even on the news report, they say, there is no human there. It's just dead tissue, burn it. And um, it just, how quickly everything, all these, um, what used to be people are so dehumanized so quickly that when they even see somebody without even confirming that it is a zombie, they just shoot it and say, nice shot. They don't care if it was a person or not. Um, so it's kind of like you're seeing this, this real dehumanization on many, many levels. And even the heroes of the film are looking at these people and calling them things and wanting to destroy them and like there's this great monologue that ben has where he talks about when he first sees the zombies and how he gets in this truck and he goes like i just wanted to i just wanted to run them over and he and he plows his car through them and he says and they flew through the air like bugs and he's the one who, who's calling them it like very early on, like way before Barbara does. Because Barbara, throughout the whole thing, can't fathom it. Like she can't separate what is happening. She's so frustrating. I'm sorry, but she is so frustrating. You just made her sound great because you made her sound very humane. She sees the humanity. But I just kept the first 20 minutes of the film, I just yelled at my television. I was like, Barbara, you you are the worst. Do something. Do like you just yell at she's so frustrating in the fact that she can't function. And then Ben has this beautiful monologue and then it's her turn. And I guess in real life she improvised it and I think you can kind of tell, but she says nothing. Oh. She's just not capable. Her monologue is also great because it's so incoherent. Because you go, 
Barbara is broken. Barbara isn't telling you what happened. She's like telling you random things about like, he wanted candy and I didn't have any. And you go like, that's that's not important to the story. Uh, but yes, Barbara is a very interesting character because again, this is another way that the movie like subverts your expectations. Mm -hmm. Similar to how Psycho kills off who you think is the main character halfway through the movie. I mean, spoiler alert for Psycho, but still, at this point, you should if, know. Uh, you should have seen Psycho. <laughs> um, but uh, in, this, in this movie, you start following Barbara, and you think, okay, Barbara is the lead. And you're watching Barbara the whole time, waiting for Barbara to have the moment moment where she snaps out of it and survives mm -hmm. you're you're expecting her to be the survivor but she isn't even the survivor she like does have a moment where she kind of snaps out of it and jumps to the aid of another character but then she sees her brother who has become a zombie and is just pulled into the into the sea of zombies and just dies screaming um, so you go like Barbara, who we've been set up to sympathize with the most from the very beginning. She is not even the last person that we're following. We're like the main person that we're following is actually Ben. But it's very interesting how Ben is not the person we meet first. Barbara's who we meet first. Okay, you're right. That is interesting because my I don't have a ton of experience with horror films, as I've mentioned, so a lot of my stuff comes from things like Scream. And in Scream, right. the people in the beginning die. There's like, to always, sorry, spoiler alert again for Scream, but come on, again, you yeah. should have seen mm -hmm. it. Um, yeah. But like, the way it's set up is like, there's a big dramatic death scene right at the top. So I assumed off the bat that both Johnny and Barbara were going to be murdered right away. And then it was going to be like, Night of the Living Dead. Do you know what I mean? Like, I thought right. we were going to get like your original horror scene. So when she yeah. lived, to me, that was surprising. I didn't think she was going to oh, really? make it to the house. Yeah. I thought she was going to be killed right off the bat. So um, yeah. that, that was a surprise for me personally. But I don't know that that trope had been established back then. So I, I guess... Yours, that's a really cool thing to bring in, what you just said, that we're following her and we expect that of her. And she never delivers because she can't. And maybe she does have the most human response because I can't say what I would do in that situation. Like I'm making fun of Mr. Cooper for not being able to throw a Maltov cocktail. I have no idea what I would do in a zombie apocalypse. Yes. yes, in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, you go, this is something that, it certainly makes Barbara a unique character. Yes. Because you go, in many ways, she may have the most realistic response to a zombie apocalypse, yeah. which is she completely shuts down. She yeah. has no ability to function. Her brain cannot fathom what is happening. It's a seemingly unfathomable situation. Yeah. The dead are rising from their graves and killing you yeah. um, and eating eating your brains and your bodies and things like that so barbara it's i think this is also the brilliance of johnny being her brother and mm -hmm. I, you know just to talk about the significance of johnny being specifically her brother and not her lover mm -hmm. because this is also something that when i saw the movie i was confused at the beginning because yeah. they feel more like in the way that he's talking about her father, it feels like he's her 
boyfriend or husband yes. or something, not her brother. Um, but then later they reveal, no, it is her brother. Um, and I think one of the reasons they do that is so that the movie never follows up on this, but there is an innate, we as an audience just can't help but say Ben and Barbara are a romantic couple. Cause you go like Ben is constantly like sticking up for Barbara and yeah. saying, don't touch her, leave her alone. She's going to come yeah. with me. And he knows how to speak with her. I want to add that to what you're saying. He's yeah. the only one that like will look at her and talk to her when other people kind of talk over her or about her. He tries to let her know what's going on, even if she can't compute or respond. He's constantly trying to help her. Yeah. So we, as the audience, assume, okay, Ben and Barbara are the romantic leads. Mm -hmm. They are the two that are going to end up together. Like, or in our hearts, we're rooting for that. Yeah. Because we we go like he's handsome man lead, she is the leading lady. We're rooting for the two of them more than anyone else to get out of there. And he has a special preference for Barbara. She's the one that he's known the longest. They are the two that can communicate when no one else can communicate with Barbara. Ben can. So it's a very genius way again of subverting our expectations where we expect them to be have some sort of romance or or in our brains even if the screen doesn't tell us that in any way we with everything we know about movies we go mm -hmm. like i'm rooting for those two i ship them <laughs> you know but then but then barbara dies horrifically oh. and and then ben has to like run away and keep going you know and then ben it, at the end you know he's not thinking about barbara <laughs> he goes yeah she's died um but then you know and then ben dies so you look at it and you go like it is one of these movies that's like so emotionally upsetting yeah. that that's why it sticks with you i do want to point out though that Cooper's idea did work. Hiding in the basement did work. So like, what do we make of that? Cause it's like, how, how could we have resolved this if they had worked together? Cause I feel like the whole t-shirt line of the film, like if this film was about something, it was like, work together, don't go do your own thing. Like work together to solve these big problems, right? Yeah. So like, could they have solved the big problems together? Could they have survived upstairs? But also he did survive downstairs. So like, what does that say that the guy with the terrible ideas was right about that one thing? All the characters are flawed. You know, it's like Ben is our hero. Ben is right most of the time, but all of his plans go awry. You go like Ben's idea to go and get the gas and get out of there ends up not working. You go like he he is the guy who has the plan to escape. He's the guy who says, I'm in charge. And you go like, in spite of us like rooting for him and him being the hero, he still does have that toxic masculinity of I'm the alpha around here. If you don't like it, go in the basement. It's funny because I, I usually have my toxic masculinity thing, like my toxic masculine radars are up. 
But for yeah. me, what that represented was having to constantly stand up for yourself as a black man around white yeah. people. To me, that was how that felt and how that read. Because I feel yeah. like you're right. If he was, if he was Mr. Cooper who was saying those things, I would interpret that differently. But because, yes. like some of the actions, I would have maybe thought were more toxic. Like we mentioned him hitting Barbara. He smacks her at one point. Yeah. Um. But again. I, the lines are blurry there because she is losing her mind and breaking down. And like, there's a lot of play. She there. does slap him first. And she yeah. does slap him first. But I'm just saying like, to, to me, that's what that felt like more than a toxic masculine thing. It felt like yeah. I have to assert myself in this way. Otherwise you're not going to listen to me. Right. That was how yeah. it felt to me. And again, it just goes to show why the casting is, is mm -hmm. so brilliant because you go like, it adds so many layers um, yeah. where you go like the, the movie ascends the script and the idea grew as they were making it um so you do look at it and you go like ben ultimately leads everyone astray um and you say maybe they could have survived if they stayed in the basement although really it's a tricky situation because if they would have listened to uh, mr cooper from the beginning and went down in the basement they all would have gotten killed by the little girl probably well, they would have had to like keep killing her over and over again. And the mom probably yeah. would not have allowed that. You're right. You're yes. right. But wait, there's a third plan we're not discussing. This movie's very either or. And there's like a shade in the middle here. Part of the plan could have been like, okay, let's stay upstairs until we absolutely cannot. And then let's go downstairs. That's what Tommy says at one point. Tommy says, up here, we can keep an eye on the situation. Mm -hmm. And if we have to, we'll go into the basement. Great plan. Great plan. That is what Ben ends up doing. Ben yeah. ends up saying, I have no choice. I have to go to the basement. If Tommy wasn't so incompetent mm -hmm. with the gas pump, they could, they could have gotten away. <laughs> yeah. uh, because that the plan is to get the car full of gas, drive to the rescue shelter yeah that is the original plan but during the kerfuffle tommy <laughs> spills so the gas everywhere including all over the truck then they drop the fire on it and it blows the car up so you go yeah. after that it is very interesting how there's a shift in ben where he then goes back in and he goes crap I'm not getting out of this house. Now I have no chance but to hunker down. And we really don't see Ben getting to discuss any other option at that point. By the time he makes the decision to go into the basement, yeah. zombies are in the house. <laughs> There's and, no option. <laughs> and maybe the zombies wouldn't have gotten in the house if mr cooper had been helping him and if they had been a unified front from the get-go but instead we've got mr cooper over here vying for power we've got ben making plans that all go astray two of the people that could help you got themselves killed barbara's sitting there doing nothing <laughs> <laughs> and then um helen mrs cooper yeah. goes and gets killed by her own daughter yeah. because she cannot she cannot 
it recognizes the idea that her daughter is gone, that her daughter is a zombie. She's underutilized too. So one of my other frustrations about the film that we were going to cover in Modern Lens and we're going to talk about now is kind of how useless the women are. It's not, it doesn't even occur to people to include them in the plan. And you right. do have a, like at least one intelligent woman there. But wait, the other part of this is too, is that because Ben is so capable, uh, he assumes that other people are too. So when Tommy's like, I can do this, I know how to drive yeah. this truck, I've got this, he's like, okay, I believe you, but that's not true. Tommy is not as capable as he, he says he is. He's a little bit more of a doofus than we than we realized. Well, and one could argue the whole downfall is Judy. Yeah, Judy, Judy definitely does not stick to the plan and ends up getting every, it gets Tommy and herself killed yeah. because she's not supposed to be in the truck. She does it anyway. And then her coat gets caught and <sighs> she blows up. <laughs> well, and he goes back to get her because her coat is caught. Yes. And I was like, of course they make a woman be the catalyst. Like it was, it is very frustrating to watch the women be so helpless and so not intelligent, just not able, not capable. They yeah. they could have used everybody there, everybody's brains and skills. And it was basically like, yeah. Judy, you cut up these materials for the Molotov cocktails. And she can't even do that. Like, yeah. she gets distracted. Yeah, they go, Judy, do it faster. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, but I love you, Tommy. And my yeah. love is slowing me down. And you're like, yeah. oh, my God, life or death here, lady. Yeah, as they're signing the jobs, they say, you women go take care of the child. It was made in the 60s. Yeah. But even, like I said, Barbara, in the beginning, I know you were like, we're on her side. There was a time when I wasn't. There was a time when I was like, girl, I hope you get eaten because at this point you're driving me nuts. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then I felt bad. Once I realized it was actually like a mental thing, then I was like, oh, I'm a monster and she's just doing her best. Yes. I just thought she was being like just the worst. I didn't. I thought she was choosing to be the worst. I didn't realize she was having a breakdown. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, there is like an interesting thing where you are frustrated by Barbara because you go, Barbara, just get it together. Get it together. Um, and I think we all as the audience go on a similar journey as Ben in that situation where at first Ben is fed up with her going like, come on, we got to go. Just uh, like, yeah. get it Just together. Just find nails. Here are nails. Can you yeah. sort them? I need a nail. Find she some can't... nails yeah. and she can't do it. She tries her best, you know? She does find some wood, you know? <laughs> Two pieces. He has pulled apart all the wood and she gently He's carries- pulled the whole house yeah. apart and she found two pieces. But you know, that's all she's capable of at the yeah. time because she's having a mental breakdown. Yeah. And Ben does it through- a series of circumstances begin to become Barbara's protector where yeah. he's like, she's doing the best she can. Don't mm -hmm. touch her. Leave her alone. You're going to come with me because Ben has this. What makes him the hero is that he's the one willing to stick his neck out for everybody else. And then he is frustrated when other characters don't do the same. And again, to me, in terms of my modern view of this film in the context of the pandemic, it's like we as a world, as the entire world right now mm -hmm. is going through a global pandemic where there is a killer virus that is ripping through the world killing a million people in this country alone 
and we can't get along or decide what to do. And we're fighting about, should we wear masks? Shouldn't we wear masks? And you go like, some people are like, I don't care about helping other people. Some people are like, I do care. Some people are saying, I don't want your help. Watch out for yourself and let me do whatever I want to do. And so it's like a very interesting thing to watch and say, it is sad watching humanity go up against a non-human threat. You go, this is a killer virus. The thing that in most zombie apocalypse things causes the zombie apocalypse, a killer virus. We're witnessing it in front of our eyes and society is reacting just how it reacts in this movie of like everybody is in lockdown and can't agree on what's the best thing to do. We all can't agree on should we help each other? Shouldn't we help each other? What are we doing? And of course, the guy who is the most empathetic, who's the most ready to deal with the situation, who's the most willing to help is the guy who's had to deal with the oppression and the hardship the most out of everyone. So you go like, it's a very interesting film and it continues to be interesting. And it is sad in watching this film. I was sad about our real life reaction to COVID in terms of the news where I was like, at least in night of the living dead, the news outlets are just reporting facts and they're just saying, here's what's happening. They're not trying to sugarcoat what's happening. They're just saying, here's what it is. There isn't any kind of like politicism of like the news outlets having political agendas like Fox News or something like that, trying to downplay the event to like for some sort of political agenda. And I was like, it's weird that the reaction to the zombie apocalypse in Night of the Living Dead, they react more rationally and more unified than we as the real world have reacted to our own apocalyptic event. We literally have a zombie vaccine available and people are like, no, I'm not taking that zombie vaccine. Yeah. uh So, you know, um, there's stuff like that, but it's so interesting you brought in the news because what I was thinking was very similar. I was like, okay, so they're just getting information from this one source and the source is just reporting facts, yeah, not any sort of opinions, facts. But it's really interesting when they're interviewing, the press are following one of the committee of, I don't really understand, I forget what it was, a committee yeah. member figuring out what's going on. And they're like, do you know what this is? And one of the guys is like, uh, no, we don't think it's that thing. But then yeah. there's other guys are like, no, this is what it is. We're, yeah. we're telling you the truth. This is what it is. The scientists saying, here's what it is. And then there's a guy from the government saying, it's not necessarily that. To me, that was the most similar to our own world. Yeah, you do look at it, though, and you go like, you know, thank God they're not watching Fox News during during this thing, because who who knows what would have happened who knows? to Fox News saying <laughs> This isn't a zombie apocalypse. This isn't happening. You know, this is like, this is not a big deal. Although there were like the gun toting Mm -hmm. militia of white guys that go like, yeah, Yeah. we got it under control. (laughs) So, you know, I guess they're like, just shoot them in the head. We figured out how to do it. We're just making a clean sweep. And they actually allude to the end earlier when they're interviewing that guy where he, where he says, you know, we just, 
shot about 12 of them. They were going at a shed and, uh, and we figured that they must've thought that there was someone alive in there, but there wasn't. And you go like, there was definitely someone alive in there. They just shot them. (laughs) They just shot them and didn't care. So you go, it kind of alludes to the end where they're just kind of blindly going through and shooting anything they find. If you're not with us, you're one of them kind of idea. If you're not standing here with us right now, we don't even, you're not even a person. They're so hopped up on killing zombies that they're not caring about finding survivors, you know? But it's interesting because I didn't see this movie going where it was going. So when they were first introduced on the news, I was a little bit like, okay, there's a plan here. We're learning more. There's a plan. One, now we know how to kill the zombies. That's great. We know that you shoot them in the head or you just like make sure that their brains aren't working somehow with whatever, by whatever means necessary and you burn them. And these guys have seen it happen. So like, we know this is a fact. Cool. So I wasn't thinking about the future. I wasn't thinking about them being future destruction. So when, when the institution, when the cops end up being the final bad guy, to me, that was a big twist because I was like everybody else expecting like, oh, this is the normal way things go. They're just giving us exposition information. I didn't expect that to like bite us in the ass later. This is a classic movie that you can watch for free because also the thing about this movie is that it's in the public domain. So there are many times where clips of this movie will be used in other horror movies. Like a lot of horror movies, whenever they're watching a horror movie, they'll be watching Night of the Living Dead a lot of times. Because again, this movie is very kindly so in the public domain. I think because wasn't it that the person didn't want to renew their copyright or something? Yeah, it was something like that. And and you Works go like, for all of us. great. <laughs> I do want to talk about uh, Dwayne Jones, who played Ben. I just want to talk about how cool he was in real life. Let's um, hear about it. So he was like a stage actor in real life. So I feel like when you're watching this film, you get this vibe from him. Like I was feeling like Barack Obama vibes. You know what I mean? Like capable, strong, smart. Um, Oh, I wrote somebody else down vibes too. Who was it? It was Barack Obama. And I was like, and this other guy, very big movie star. Uh, My brain is not working. That's okay. You get all these vibes from him. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, ooh, I love your vibe. But um, he was a stage actor. Uh, and he was also, he had previously been a college professor and he, I think he has that professor vibe, like, yeah. um, educated, smart, in control. Uh, so yeah, he, he oversaw the literature department at Antioch college. <laughs> he was the executive director of several theaters. So he was the executive director of the black theater Alliance and mm-hmm. the Richard Allen Center for Culture, and he was the artistic director of that too. He taught at, um, ADA, the American Academy of Dramatic Art. He was the director of the theater uh, at uh, State University of New York. Like he, he, <laughs> he's so prestigious, <laughs> and I yeah. feel like the movie was so lucky to have him. Do you know what I mean? Yes. That he would, because he does have this gravitas to him. I don't know. You can tell he's a stage actor, and to yeah. me, he's the best actor in the whole piece because a lot of the acting is pretty campy. Um, like mm-hmm. Judith O'Day, for example, playing Barbara. She was a commercial actress before, didn't have a ton of experience, had a little stage yeah. experience, but you mm-hmm. you know, it's a little campy. And then I also wanna say that the people that played Harry Cooper and Helen Cooper, that's Carl Hardman and Marilyn Eastman, they helped produce this film. So yeah. this film was made by um, George Romero. He was the director um, and he produced it with Russell Streiner, 
John Russo, who wrote the screenplay, and um, these two other people, uh, Carl Hardman and Marilyn Eastman, and they made up this company called Image 10. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, they, they weren't even really actors. They haven't done a ton of stuff, but they all formed together to make this picture because they believed in it. And look at it. Yeah. They got two actors to be the leads, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. it works great. They um, did great. And like I had mentioned earlier, they used a lot of the techniques they had used making commercials and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, like guerrilla style filmmaking, which is basically just like carrying the camera and going with it. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot was improvised as well. Um, they would improvise on the spot for certain things. I, I think that the cast is stellar in in the movie. And, you know, even if sometimes people might not be the best actors in the world, I think sometimes that helps because they have a, a little bit more of like a purity at times. And like a lot of low budget horror movies will have this thing to where they, they don't have access to like seasoned like all the time professionals so they'll use like more um less experienced people that maybe some people that might not even really be actors all the time but their performance will bring like a charm and a genuineness that i i feel like can't really be duplicated um like there's an ineffable quality like there's something about judy and tommy yeah that is like there's an innocence to those two that i feel like they seemed kind of young to me and they seemed like i don't know the rest of their careers in terms of acting but it seemed like they had a, the right amount of newness to the medium of like you know it, it's not like they're really actory they don't come off as like actors they come off as people that are in this situation that are kind of totally clueless and uh, like the acting it it plays really well having dwayne jones as like the leader because he as what it seems to me being the most experienced seasoned actor brings with him the confidence like you trust him as a performer and you trust the character and the professor aspect too i would say because it's like he's an actor and also a teacher so yes. i think both of those things lend themselves really well to this role yeah you look at the guy and you say i trust him and he's the character that i'm supposed to trust the most and then you look at the characters that are a little bit more naive and you say i kind of trust them less to even carry the scene you know so it brings a danger to to them doing anything and i think that that uh it's like there's a real charm to it and sometimes in these lower budget horror movies you'll see people that have a that like bring a quality because they might not be the best actors in the world but they have an ineffable quality where you go like they are really unprepared for this situation. And we feel that at home. And they might be a little afraid while they're filming. And we feel yeah. that too. And like the nervousness of, oh. It adds to the movie. And I also remembered it was Harry Belafonte. I was like, who was I feeling? I was getting Harry Belafonte vibes. So also before we head out, I want to just ask like uh, zombie issues in general, right? So here are some zombie questions that I had that I was yeah. saying. Go for it. So how come the zombies could go so fast. They were like, they're slow. But in the opening, that zombie is running after Barbara. 
Yeah. So I, I was like, no, 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 zombies can't run. Why are you running? So like, is is that a thing? Did they say that or no? Well, it's interesting in this film because you get conflicting accounts. You go like, Ben is insistent that the zombies are slow and weak. And uh, Ben, you know, ultimately can't defend the house from the zombies. And they may be just sheer numbers, but maybe they are stronger than what he thinks. Mm. And then you go, uh, Mr. Cooper insists that the zombies are super strong because they flipped his car. And Oh, it, you're right. And uh, because of that, he's more, but you say, I can't really trust him. He's a coward. You know, it's like, who knows exactly what happened with them. And I think all of that is to add to the unsettling mystery of the movie and that you don't really get all the answers. Like you don't really know how strong these zombies are. You don't really know what they're capable of. Sometimes they're fast. Sometimes they're slow. Sometimes they're way smarter than you think a zombie is because they start picking up rocks to break windows and stuff. And you go like, that to me seems like complex thought that is beyond the capacity of a reanimated corpse, you know? Especially because they do give up so quickly. That was a really funny part to me when they're trying to like break (laughs) into the basement and they're just like, eh, we're fine. Like they just give up. Uh, (laughs) It's too hard. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like... I'm not sure exactly if it's intentional, but I think that the conflicting um, rules that are given for these zombies and like even the explanation that it's from radiation from Venus, it's like you don't really get confirmation of that and nor does it really matter, but you're just going like, it all kind of to me adds to the unexplained nature of this is frightening because we have no idea what's going on. And if I'm being honest, until you started on this podcast saying it was radiation from Venus, I just thought it was radiation from our aircraft as it was trying to get there. So even gotcha. us talking about it, I was like, oh, I wasn't even totally sure that it was Venus. I'm going to act like I was because, you know, this is my podcast and yeah. I just didn't want to, you know, it is what it is. I moved along. I, I yes, and it. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> But like even us, I was like, we have conflicting reports in our brains about like, wait, what really did happen? Was it this or was that? Or I don't remember. Yeah, you don't really know. I think that later zombie movies will um, will specify it or more clearly detail uh, or define how fast zombies are or how strong they are. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually zombies we're this is something that's always baffled me about zombies is that they are supposed to be decomposing humans but they're always stronger than humans because like in things like day of the dead and stuff they're able to rip humans apart with their bare hands like they can just rip them apart like they're jelly and you go like so you know, it's always kind of been like, wouldn't like a decomposing, rotting body be weaker than a human body? They have nothing holding them back. It's all in the mind. They have nothing to hold in. <laughs> yeah, I I guess so. I, you know. Also, Twilight has an answer for this. I hate that I know this. I'm sorry, people at home. But okay. yes, Twilight is a film. 
about vampires. And um, the reason that they explain why vampires are so strong when they're brand new vampires is because their human blood still lives in their veins. So it's like they have extra potent blood. So maybe human right. blood is just extra potent. So maybe the zombies ate it and they feel extra potent. So like just living in our bodies, we're like, meh. But if we were like another being, we'd be like, whoa. Maybe they do get stronger after they eat human flesh because you know they don't really break into the house until after they eat the charred remains of judy and tommy and i was like aren't you full i would be full i'd need a break they clearly don't they're hungry forever never satiated my other zombie question is the conflicting things about the light so wait you're telling me a zombie cannot handle a light like a light being turned on but they can walk in the daytime just fine I'm gonna need that explained. I think that they're afraid of fire. I didn't really notice them being afraid of light. Because they had to break the guy's headlights and then they had to make everything go dark in the house somehow. Because I thought the zombies somehow made it go dark. But it seemed like when he turned, he was like, turn on all the lights um, to keep them away. So it was like the light bulbs kept them away. Maybe they just thought it was fire? I'm unsure. It's like, for me, why they were turning on the lights is they were like, it's scary. Turn the lights on, <laughs> you know, like, uh, like if I was in a zombie apocalypse, I would want to have the lights on at all times so that nothing could creep up on me, you know, in a darkened house because they're in this house. They don't know if there are zombies in this house that they just haven't found because they do find a dead body. That's one of the first things they find. And how does that dead body not reanimate? That was one of my questions. Because it's too dead? I think maybe it's too dead. I think that it's missing too much of its muscle material. But I think if the movie had a higher budget, it would have reanimated. <laughs> because that would have been cool to see like a like a zombie like a, a skeleton, skeleton zombie. zombie um but i think that uh yeah so i think that turning on the lights was more of like a safety thing for them and then in terms of when the when the zombies smashed out the headlights on mm -hmm. the on the car this was another thing of me watching the movie going like they're kind of inconsistent rules with the zombies. Not that it really matters that much, but going like, how smart are the zombies? Like, do yeah. the zombies know that light is going to be helpful to the humans? So are they taking out the sources of light to make the humans more susceptible to them? Like knocking out the power to the house means several things it means that they've now cut off these humans from the rest of civilization they have now made it easier to sneak up on them it's hard to see in general and the zombies don't seem to like really care if they can see or not um and like the headlights you would need to see to drive so it seems like crap don't mess up the car we need that to escape and then the zombies do seem to take out the electricity in the house so you're kind of like i think the zombies in this movie are constantly surprising you where you go some of them seem to be smarter than they than you realize like that first zombie that shows up when he picks up the rock to break the break the window you go like that's pretty complex thought for zombie and that same zombie goes and like picks up the 
the dining room table leg to go and smash at the at the door. Yeah. So you go, that zombie can use tools. That's a smart zombie. Well, maybe they take their real life experiences. Yeah, maybe in life he was just a genius so that when he's dead, he's just a little bit smart. Or in life, like his job was in construction and it felt really natural to him to be like, oh, I can build and take apart. Demo day. Yeah, rock, break, window. You know, I also like when zombies can talk a little bit. Sometimes they say brains, and I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, I want to say no brains were eaten in this film, only other yeah. body parts. Yeah, and they, they never don't... call the zombies zombies. They are called ghouls in this film. Ghouls. They never yes. utter zombie. And then I was going to ask, who's your favorite zombie? And also, why don't they say zombie? Those are my two questions. Who's your favorite zombie in this film? In this film? Mm-hmm. I think it's just the first zombie, the lanky guy walking through the graveyard. And then he does like show up again and again. And he's like the zombies that break through in the end and pull Barbara out. He's one of them. I do also like the um, I like Johnny zombie because he's still got the gloves on and (laughs) um, driving gloves. Nick is talking about he has the driving gloves. And um, while he is not a zombie at this point, I think like the most famous line from the movie is Johnny in the beginning when he says, they're coming to get you, Barbara. And um, that is a, such a great line. And um, so he's, a, he's also a fun zombie. And that's another horror trope thing, by the way, too, like kind of starting from a comedic place. Because it starts in a playful, comedic way before it gets a little... In fact, it doesn't even really get dark to the end. I mean, we get a good chunk through the movie without it being incredibly dark and intense. Yeah, and even just in terms of lighting, in the beginning, they specifically say how bright it is outside. Where they go, it's 8 o'clock, but it's still bright. And you go like, this is because it was easier for them to shoot in the day. Daylight savings time. But because the movie, also it should be said... This movie is filmed in black and white, which was a genius move because one thing, it's just much easier because they can create a tone without like super intense lighting or anything like that. It's just all black and white. It has a classic feel to it because it evokes the old movies like Dracula and Frankenstein. And it is the classic zombie movie. When you think about the most classic definitive movies of each kind of monster. You go like, all right, Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Night of the Living Dead is the classic zombie movie. And then um, and then also, it's a way to get around. This is why in the movie Kill Bill, Quentin Tarantino, there's a part where Uma Thurman is killing 88... Uh, evil assassins and they turn the movie black and white for that whole sequence because there's so much blood that if it were in color it would have gotten an x rating but because they say now it's going to be black and white we don't show red blood so this movie kind of gets around some of the censors which is why it can be shown on tv so often as is you go like the violence is really dulled by the fact that you never see any red blood. And a lot of things are implied, as you mentioned. We don't always see, 
we, we see the aftermath of things and that's what makes them scary. Like when we see an explosion and Judy and Tommy are in the truck, we're sad, but we don't really think about what their bodies look like. But when we see zombies eating things that look like eating intestines or eating something that looks like a heart, that's visceral. That's, that's icky, but it's not so icky that it wouldn't be shown. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Yeah. They, they're really good with the aftermath. My favorite zombie was actually the girl zombie. There's like a girl zombie that looks extra creepy that like ate a bug off a tree or something. And she was one of the ones eating like the heart or the... The lady with like the de decomposed skin. She just looked cool. I was like, oh, you're a cool zombie. I like your look. Um, So I liked her. But I did yeah. want to ask, why didn't they say the word zombie, Nick? Why, why did they call them ghouls and not zombies? This was at a time where the word zombie had a certain connotation, mm -hmm. which was... um sort of a magical person brought back by magical means. There's this movie called White Zombie that happened before this. Um, and usually it's, there's a warlock or some sort of magical person that will have a mindless servant that is the zombie. But what a ghoul is, and a, a ghoul is a specific kind of creature as well, like a vampire and all this stuff. What a ghoul is, is a ghoul is a thing that eats dead bodies. So what? I thought it was just another word for ghost. Yeah, it, yeah, it, because sometimes it is used as a synonym for ghost. But specifically what a ghoul is, if you look it up in mythology, is a kind of undead creature that eats bodies. But I prefer that they don't say zombie in this yeah. movie, even though we as the audience go like, we know that they're zombies, but I think that it's a little less corny when you don't call them zombies. I like that they call them mass murderers. That To me, that was more effective. You don't think of zombies as mass murderers, but they're like, these creatures are mass murderers. And I was like, oh, wow, yeah. Yes, they are, you're right. Yeah through the whole beginning they're like just describing it as a wave of murders that are happening yeah. and they're like we don't know what's going on because at first they don't know that it's dead bodies reanimated they just go like why are all these people walking around killing people because they do like in this movie specifically say that it is you know recently deceased unburied people that are coming and i think that's important for the end of the movie when they they're going around shooting everybody and they shoot ben because they go like there's nothing to visually separate ben from one of the zombies well i mean if you actually looked you probably could tell but yes if they actually looked they would have seen he's a capable human carrying yes. a gun yes but uh but they didn't care to look they didn't care to look they just said just shoot Oof. I think that people, if they go back and watch this movie, all of these tropes have been done so many times. They may look at this movie and, you know, find it perhaps a little uh, old uh, or a little bit like, I've seen this a million times. But if you haven't seen this movie, it's definitely worth going back and watching it because it is the birth of a lot of these tropes and it is historically significant. And in many cases, the original does it the best. And I think that this one has a really good 
small group of survivors trying to make it and arguing amongst themselves. Well, and it's something that you could potentially handle. Like I can't handle a lot of really off, like darker horror, right? Yeah. Like I shouldn't, I don't know, this was darker, the right word, like more graphic or what's, the, I don't know what the word is. Like gory. The, gory, like yes. The gore fest. I can't really handle that, but I could handle this and was like affected by this. I think it's, it's really cool. It's really well done. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it in a way I did not expect. Yeah. This movie, um, you know, it has some of the most effective deaths because, uh, again, like this movie is up upsetting to a point to where it'll stick with you. Like yeah. the deaths are horrific and tragic. And they escalate so quickly. Like you think we might be out of the woods and nobody is. They happen so fast, one on top of the other. And yeah. you just can't believe what you're seeing. But especially the end. I, I've never, I haven't seen an ending like that in recent memory, you know, where you're just yeah. like, oh, there you go. What? oh crap. Yeah. <laughs> Did they do that? Really? What? Yeah. Okay. So that was great. We, we kind of covered the modern lens already. I feel like basically what we had mentioned, what doesn't hold up is essentially a lot of the way the female characters just are and the yeah. gender roles and society roles and, um, the news footage, which is cool, but like not what we're used to. And then what does hold up is like the idea of the ideas behind zombies in the first place, the metaphors, but also the the depiction of like a black protagonist being killed by the police, like the racism behind that, the all of that is very, I would say, relevant. Yeah, the, the movie still feels very relevant to this day. All right, so we did the modern lens and now we are on to the double feature portion of this show. If you liked this movie, check out these other films. So I don't have a ton of experience, but here's what I put down. I wrote, um, well, Get Out, I thought, is another great compliment to this piece because it's also like a horror film, but it's about like so much social commentary, specifically yes. about like the black experience in America. So I feel like that would be a great double feature. Yes. Get Out, another movie where you go Jordan Peele, who is like, was that his feature debut? Yes, that was his feature debut. Yes. So again, you go another filmmaker who's a fantastic filmmaker getting his start in making movies in horror. And it's another movie that had a relatively small budget because it's a Bloomhouse picture. They only spend five to ten million dollars per movie. That movie only cost five million dollars. And it went on to be one of the most successful movies in recent history. And you yeah. go like it just goes to show great filmmaker doesn't need a lot, makes mm -hmm. a socially relevant and a movie that touches the hearts of everyone in the nation and it explodes and it is so relevant and so important to see. And you get to see this wonderful filmmaker getting his start. He had already been doing TV for a long yeah. time, but the start of his film career, it's a very exciting to watch. And like Night of the Living Dead, it plays with your expectations too, yeah. you know? It subverts certain things you don't expect. It's comedic where you don't expect. Yeah. So there's that. Here's the rest of my list. So I was getting some Orpheus vibes from this a little bit where it's like, so there's this movie that I haven't seen, but I've been meaning to see called Black Orpheus. And it's like this Brazilian film that's supposed mm -hmm. to be a little bit of a horror film that takes place during like a big festival, but it's the Orpheus myth, which is a, a tragedy, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, the man going down for his love and coming back and not being able to escape with her because he can't fully believe or thought like he can't believe the rules that are in place. He has to like check and turn back his head and yeah. it's always going to be tragic. 
but I don't know. I was get, I was like, mm, maybe this will be a good yeah. Black Orpheus thing. Um, the internet recommended Carnival of Souls, if you like this, which I haven't seen, but um, it looked fun. I, I have not seen Carnival of Souls. I think I've seen pieces of Carnival of Souls. Well, I was like, this yeah. looks interesting, at least. Yeah. And then, like, Candyman, I feel like maybe. Shaun of the Dead, The House on Haunted Hill, Scream, and Psycho. House on Haunted Hill, because it's like all the people getting together, plus, you know, a fun skeleton dance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are all mine. But Nick, what do you think? Candyman is a, is another great movie. I would also recommend the remake of Candyman um, that just came out. It's it's another fun I've film. I've seen neither, but I know that there's a female director. I know that it's like a black protagonist. I, but I, again, I don't usually watch scary movies. So the movie that I'll recommend, this is by no way as socially relevant as, um, as night of the living dead. But this is like one of my personal heroes is, uh, I love Sam Raimi and, um, Sam Raimi, uh, got his start as well, making, low budget horror movies so the one i will recommend is evil dead um and so evil dead is a movie that uh again young filmmaker getting his start by making horror movies and sam raimi in particular used to say he hated horror movies because he was too scared of them he wanted to make comedies but (laughs) he was like i don't have any money I'll make a horror movie um, because that's the quickest way to get people to see something, put a monster in it. People go see it. And he is a guy who is from Michigan, just like us. And he uh, went to my high school, Groves high school, obviously, you know, decades before I did, but he went to Groves with one of his best friends. Who's a guy named Bruce Campbell and uh you know and his younger brother ted ramey they went to michigan state university and they dropped out of college to make this movie to make evil dead and they were completely broke what they did to raise money is they went around and got funding from like dentists and stuff like that and they and they were kids and they would go into these uh, meetings with these possible investors with briefcases that were empty that had nothing in them but they were like we took the briefcases to look professional and so they went in and they and they raised the money to make this movie evil dead they went out into the woods it's a very similar sort of kind of plot where it is a small group of people in a cabin in the middle of the woods trying to survive an onslaught of in this one not zombies but evil spirits that keep possessing the friends one by one so it's another movie where it's like you are forced to fight the people that you love the most and uh the main character is ash who's played by bruce campbell um and then there's the group of friends around him sam raimi again uh, directing they have a lot of crazy camera moves they're like very similar things you can tell that they're very inspired by night of the living dead because there's like quick whip pans and like shaky camera and stuff like that and like that heads of animals on the walls a very common motif 
But the warning that I will give on Evil Dead is that it is much, much, much more grotesque than Night of the Living Dead is. They didn't have all the money in the world, so it's like pretty rudimentary and like the the effects are you can tell it's all fake but it, there's something just very gross about it it's also made by college age dropouts so it's not the most mature movie at times and there are a few things that happen in the movie that sam raimi has since said I really wish I didn't put that in the movie. And if you see the movie, you'll be able to tell. There is some stuff involving, you know, like girls' clothes being ripped off by trees and things like that. Stuff that they look back and they say, I regret doing that. And um, and if you want to skip that one, because Evil Dead 1 is pretty, um, a, like, grotesque slog. But then um, Evil Dead 2 is essentially a remake of Evil Dead 1, but they have a much higher budget and they do less cringy stuff. So, okay. um, so, and, and it's, and there's a lot of famous stuff about Evil Dead, like um, Ash, the main character, famously has a few catchphrases. He says, groovy. And he um, and he has a chainsaw for a hand. Like a lot of his lines from the Evil Dead movies were actually lifted directly and taken and put into the video game Duke Nukem. So it's like it's a very another like very influential horror movie. But um, you know, it's much like sillier and like it's not trying to be a social commentary or anything like that. But it's another movie where here is a filmmaker who then went on to great renown, getting his start doing a very low budget people in a house trying to survive the onslaught of scary creatures. So that's my suggestion. I have not seen The Evil Dead, which should surprise no one. But I was proud that I knew the protagonist's name. And I think I did because I think there's a show. I think I've probably seen ads. There is. Ash vs. Evil Dead. When I watched the Evil Dead movies as as a young person, I knew things about the later movies. And then when I went back and watched the first movie, I was surprised because I was like, when does he get the chainsaw hand? When does he say groovy? and all that stuff but he doesn't do that in the first movie he only does that in the sequels and also the thing if you watch them there are three evil dead movies there's evil dead evil dead 2 and then the last movie is called army of darkness because they couldn't get the rights to call it evil dead uh because it's a different studio but army of darkness was originally supposed to be called the medieval dead because it's about ash going back in time to medieval times and as the movies progress, you can really tell that Sam Raimi wanted to make comedies, not uh, horror movies, because the movies get progressively sillier and sillier to where by the third movie, it's pretty much like a slapstick comedy movie that has some, you know, kind of monsters in it. And then the show, Ash vs. Evil Dead, which you're thinking of, is... Um, a thing that they've now made very recently. So mm-hmm. like the whole gag of the show is Ash is now like in his late fifties, early sixties. <laughs> and he's like, a, and he's old and he's gained a lot of weight. And he's like, 
oh man, I can't believe I'm still fighting these monsters. Um, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. So now you have lots of options, people at home, to check out these films. But first, go watch Nine of the Living Dead. If you haven't watched it before this episode, shame on you. No, not shame on you, because they're just like me. But you should watch it before you listen to this, or else we're going to oh, spoil the whole thing. I see what you. you're saying. I thought you meant if you hadn't seen it up to this point, shame on you, because like some people just. Oh, no. No, they're no. too scared. That's just fine. But if you're going to listen to this episode, you should watch the movie so that we're not completely spoiling the movie for you. I mean, it's easy and it's free and it's short. And that's all you can ask, really. Right? It's a great experience. Well, on that note, Nick, thanks so much for being on the show again. Thank you for having me. And we'll see you next time on Talk Classic to Me. You have been listening to Talk Classic to Me with Sarah Greenfield. That's me. My guest this week was Nick Lang. They will be featured on our Instagram page. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe and maybe even find us on anchor.fm to become a contributing member. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at TalkClassicToMe for some awesome content and to find out what's coming up next. Thanks for listening.